Well, hello, CMYK community, and welcome to another CMYK Talk podcast. My name's Matt, and if you're listening in for the first time, as always, welcome. We're so glad that you're jumping in and choosing to be a part of these conversations that we hope help you and engage you to live a more beautiful way, interact with the world, people, and stuff in and around you. Today, uh, we continue to wrap up, uh, not continue, we are, <laughs> we are wrapping up our series. We've entitled Agree to Disagree, or Relating with Those We Love But Disagree With. So we're going to uh, try to hopefully give some really practical uh, steps and approaches to how we can deal with this thing that probably many of us are dealing with. How do we relate to those that we love, but it just seems like there's so many things that we can't find common ground on, and many times we're around a table having a meal or having a conversation or we see something posted online and and there's just this tension and we have no clue how to go about this tension because we just see the world so differently, but I want to love you and still be in relationship with you. How do we do this? So that's what this series has been about. Before we jump into it, though, I want to mention that this upcoming Sunday, uh, which is September 2nd, we've already hit September 2018, people, and we're going to be taking what we call a Sabbath gathering or a Sabbath break and rest. So there's not going to be a podcast and we're not going to be... Um, gathering at our regular Sunday times of 1030 and 6 at Art House, there's going to be nothing because our hope is that you would take time to just rest and remember that wherever you are and in that moment before you've accomplished anything, you are loved and embraced. And there is something so sacred and beautiful and divine about your breath and the beating heart in your chest and the people around you and this world that we live in. It's something that's so beautiful. And so for us as a community, we take this rhythm of rest where every few weeks we just don't gather, we don't meet, we don't post a podcast, and we just invite you to do the best spiritual work that you can do. And that is nothing uh, to just remember that you are loved as you are. Uh, What we're doing uh, lately with these uh, Sabbath gatherings, I do want to mention, is that uh, we will be sending out just an email probably Thursday or Friday of this week, just reminding you that there won't be any gatherings or podcasts, but also with just a quick couple-minute video, encourage you to think about some things potentially on that Sabbath to hopefully uh, help it be as meaningful as possible. So if you aren't subscribed to our CMYK magazine, which is an online online publication that we put out. We're actually working on one right now that's going to come out in the next couple weeks. Uh, We would encourage you to do that. You can just head to our website, cmykcommunity.com. Just give us your email address and name, and then you'll be signed up for that Sabbath gathering video and reminder. And then you also get the CMYK magazine, which is coming out in a few weeks and just tells so many great stories of what's happened in our community. So uh, don't forget to not do anything (laughs) next Sunday. And then we'll be back September 9th. We're jumping into a new series, which I am uh, nervously excited about and what we're talking about, but don't have time for that. Today, uh, we're talking about agree to disagree. So this has been a short series, but uh, two weeks ago, or two episodes ago in the podcast, I talked about that I think the first step for us to do when it comes to agreeing to disagree, if we want to find genuine love between one another, because it's easy to just write someone off. It's easy to just kind of kick them out of your life and say, I want nothing to do with you. You can do that with people that you disagree with. But for us, we're trying to wrestle through how do we continue to relate? How do we continue to find? And what I talked about was this idea of genuine love. How do we find genuine love between each other? And I believe that the first step is that we learn to heal hear their story. We learn to sit down and ask questions and relate with their story as best as we can because their story matters. It's sacred and significant. And rather than just always focusing on beliefs, we learn to hear their story. And then last week uh, with the uh, talk podcast and at our gatherings, Seth talked about this idea of we then must learn to tell 
our story. Because similar thing, rather than just sitting down and having a conversation about our beliefs, which can quickly degrade into us versus them, to learn to tell the authentic, real story of who we are is one of the most powerful things that we can offer anybody, particularly those that we disagree with. So it's working and doing this work to be honest with the people around us with our story. It might not be everybody, but for those that we genuinely love and we want to interact with on this way, this is an important work. They may, they may disagree, but at least at the end of the day, they see us. And this is a work towards genuine love for them to love us and for us to love them if we're truly seeing each other for who we really are. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about a scene a moment that you have probably experienced yourself personally or you have witnessed on some level and how to handle this scene in hopefully the most beautiful way forward. The scene is this. You sit down with a group of friends and these are friends, people that you know and have known for a while and everybody's excited to get to know each other. Everybody's excited to hear how each other's lives are doing those kinds of things. So you have a room full of people and you're starting this conversation that probably typically can revolve around things like what's the latest Netflix series that you watched? What are you reading? What's been exciting for you? What's been hard and difficult in your life? You talk about work. You talk about your respective families and catch up on all those things. But it seems like at some point, someone brings up that topic. Someone makes that statement. And it's that topic or that statement that just causes your insides to cringe. And everything in you wants to do one of two things. You want to shout back at that person. How could you believe that? And how could you think that? Because this in this scene, everything was going great. Everybody was having a good time and you're having a good conversation. And then someone brings up, let's say, political or someone brings up something religious, this idea of belief and spirituality. And it's something that is so wrong and broken and erroneous to you, wherever you are, that there's this part of you that goes, I, I don't know that I can just let that lie. But you know that to poke at it, to push back, is going to completely disrupt the scene, completely disrupt this incredible feeling and emotion and connection that's happening in the room. But you also know that you have a choice to potentially just sit there and let it lie. That someone says that really, really crazy thing about politics in America, or that really, really crazy thing about immigrants or religion, whatever it is. And there's this part of you that's like, okay. And you could just let it lie and just not say anything. Just pretend that you didn't hear anything and just move on. What do you do in that scenario? I found myself many times within that kind of position. Do I, do I speak up? Do I push back? Do I become that guy in the room that just goes deeper and says, ah, excuse me, that's not right. Excuse me, that's the wrong way to think about that. Is this the best thing to do? Or do I become that person? And honestly, just my personality, this is typically who I find myself being more than anything. Just let it lie. Just pretend you didn't hear it and just move on. What do you do in that scenario, particularly if these are people that you are working to find this genuine love with? Well, the thing that I've found is not to just push back in the moment and not to create, you know, to go deeper into, you can't think that and to try and have this bigger conversation. And I don't think it's a healthy, good thing to just silence myself and to just be quiet and just pretend I didn't hear it and to move on. But I believe that there's a third way. 
And this third way was something that was introduced to me uh, by a guy named Brian McLaren. And he says this. He says that the best way to handle these kinds of situations is when someone says that crazy out there erroneous thing or crazy derailing kind of statement about politics or religion, life, whatever it is, rather than to push back and rather than just to kind of roll over and pretend you didn't hear it, to say this, wow, I see that differently. And that's it. Wow, I see that differently. Because something happens when you say that. All of a sudden, when you make that statement, you become the most interesting person in the room because everybody's curious. Okay, someone just said that maybe crazy out there thing, but now all eyes are on you. Well, what do you think about this? If it's different, how do you approach this? So all of a sudden, everybody's curious where you are with this topic and with this issue. And you're not forcing it on anybody, but you're inviting them to ask the question. And then this is the power of that statement, because when they ask the question, okay, so how do you see that differently? How do you think about that? Or that person that made that erroneous statement is looking to push back against what you would think and what you would believe, you say this. I would love to talk with you about that, but I don't know that this is the right place or the right time. So let's schedule a coffee. Let's schedule a time that we can have a meal or just, you know, connect and we can talk about it. Now, this might sound so simple and so basic on on a lot of levels, but for me, this is an incredibly powerful approach to it. To say, wow, I see that differently. To get people curious about what you actually think and really believe. And then to work to set up a place and a time where you can talk about the difference. You can talk about what's going on rather than disrupting the entire meal and the entire scene of what was beautiful and good just 30 seconds before someone made that statement. This is something that I think is not only just found or invited uh, in our current political climate or current religious climate, but it's something that I I actually see uh, that's found within the life of Christ. There's this moment talked about in the Gospel of Luke. It's around a character that you've probably heard of before. His name is Zacchaeus. And it's a kind of story that uh, I've heard it so many times. I've sung the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Uh, I've, I've, I've been around this story enough that you kind of lose the potency of the power of what's happening within it. But within the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, it goes like this. That Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, this is important because what the storyteller is identifying is Zacchaeus is on the outside of the people, the economics, the place in life that Jesus and his typical followers are found. By stating that he was a chief tax collector, he's stating that this guy was someone that was seen as a betrayal to his own people. He's on the other side of the aisle because as a tax collector, he a Jewish man was collecting taxes from his own people for Rome, for Caesar. He's working for the enemy. This guy is not in the fold at all. And on top of that, he was rich. He was getting rich off the backs of his very own people. And Jesus and his followers are not seen as one with possessions and money and a bunch of stuff. And so what the storyteller is doing is saying, you have Jesus, and then you have the other, this other side called Zacchaeus. 
And Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Maybe you've been to a concert before and you are small in stature and you've tried to see the concert, but you can't because there is a six foot giant standing in front of you at the concert and it just gets really frustrating. So Zacchaeus is in this place of like, well, I could go, but I'm not going to be able to see Jesus at all because I'm just a short, short man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all crumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. What's happening here? Jesus sees this man, identifies this man as someone that's an outsider, someone that's an enemy, someone that's on the other side of the aisle on so many issues and in so many lifestyle choices and ways. And what does Jesus do? Rather than having a conversation there with a guy in a tree, (laughs) which isn't the best place to have a conversation with a guy, just so you know, he says this, hey, let's go to your home and let's share a meal. Now, everybody in the crowd, they start grumbling because Jesus is moving into this house of a sinner, as they call him. And this is not okay because what does the crowd want? The crowd kind of wants Jesus to confront Zacchaeus in front of everybody. The crowd wants this whole scene to be disrupted by this back and forth debate and for Zacchaeus to feel even smaller than he already is because of all the powerful words and facts and stats that Jesus is able to bring to Zacchaeus about why he is so wrong and Jesus is so in the right. That's what the crowd is looking for, but they don't get it because Jesus does this really, really powerful move. He moves the conversation. He moves the moment into a home. He moves it into a better place and a better time. He changes the context for the conversation. We're not going to have it here because this isn't the best place to have this conversation with you in a tree and me on the ground and all this crowd around. We're not going to see the most beautiful good things happen out of it. We've got to move the place, the time, the context, and it's in that move that we can actually have a healthy, beautiful dialogue and conversation. So everybody's frustrated because that's what we want. We want to see things blow up, don't we? Sometimes we want to see the car wreck. We want to see the train wreck, especially if we feel like we're on the winning side. We want to see the war and the battle and feel like we won. But Jesus doesn't lean into that. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree, for I will stay at your home. And here's the results of this conversation. It says in verse 8 that Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So there's something that comes out of this conversation, this change in context, that Zacchaeus actually shifts his life, changes his thinking, begins to go about things differently. This is crazy. Because I don't think this would have happened if Jesus just yelled at Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you need to be someone that gives to the poor. You need to be someone that if you've defrauded them, you are going to pay them back fourfold. That wouldn't have gone very well. I think we all know that and can understand that. But Jesus understands the power of context. And so what he's doing is saying, okay, we've got to move this into a place where we can actually be heard. And there can be something good and beautiful potentially that comes from it because context matters. This is one of the most 
I think for me, relationally powerful principles and ideas to understand that context matters. You can say the same things. You can even say them in the same way. But if you have the wrong context around those things, they will not potentially be heard. They will not be experienced in the proper way. And they will not be acted upon or engaged in the way that they could or should be. That context matters for these conversations. It's the same concept that David Bryan talks about in his incredible book, How Music Works. He talks about one of the most core basic principles of what makes music good. There's a lot of things that make music good, but one of the biggest things that he talks about that was helpful for me is understanding that music is about context. Art is about context. And if you experience great art in the wrong context, you're not going to experience in the way that it's meant to be or that it could or should be. So when it, just specifically with music, if you go to a dance club, a place that has all the flashing lights and the strobes and you know everything that you imagine when you think about a dance club, a lot of people showing up to just get their groove on all night long, and you show up to a dance club and there's a choir in front of you and they sing orchestral choir music all night long, it gets really awkward and really quickly. It doesn't sound as good as you feel that it should. It's not this powerful moving thing. And everybody that's there to show to dance, to have a party, to get, you know, to get crazy, if you will, after a while they go, man, this is kind of lame. This is kind of boring. Why are we here? And very easily the crowd starts to disperse. Why? Because the context matters. You take that same choir and you put them in a symphony hall with ornate decorations, with acoustics that carries everybody's voice in such a way that there's a power and a significance. You put them in seated. You you put your crowd in seats where everybody's kind of focused on the choir. Everybody's in this kind of place to just experience visually with their ears something magical because that's what the context of that kind of music can be and should be. And all of a sudden you walk away, same music, same people, and you go, that was powerful. Or vice versa, you take dance music, you take it out of the dance club and you put it in a symphony hall (laughs) and you sit there and all you have to do is, all you you have to listen to is Now in a dance hall, you could go hour after hour after hour and a good DJ is keeping that beat going and making sure that everybody's still on the dance floor. And it's song after song, but it feels like one long jam, one long song, right? When a, in a symphony hall, <laughs> when you're sitting there, you, you maybe get a minute into mts, 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 and you start to feel like, okay, it's kind of boring. It's kind of lame. Why? Because it's the wrong context. Context matters. To have the wrong context for a good thing can mean that that good thing, whatever it is, is lost. And it's not experienced, it's not interacted with on the best way and in the best level. And to take a a conversation that matters around things that matter, that you actually want to move the story forward in, context is so important because at some point it doesn't matter how you say it, it doesn't matter how you know, true or fact-based you are in what you're trying to communicate. If the context is wrong, it is just not going to be heard. This, in many ways, is a big problem of social media. Because when you have a context like Facebook and you're trying to talk about things that matter and go back and forth, that is not a healthy context to deal with these kinds of things. So you're never actually moving the ball forward. You're just throwing things back and forth at each other and bringing greater and greater division. I would even say this with most news media. The news can be good at bringing information to the table, but when it comes to the context of debates and trying to wrestle with what you actually think and believe, it doesn't do a good job 
job of shifting you or me and my thinking because it's not the right context to maybe dive deep into what's happening there and to really discover and hear what someone is talking about when all you're dealing with is one or two minute sound bites of something. It's not the best context for some of these bigger conversations. Yes, get good information, but then understand there's a better context to maybe wrestle through some of these things, to spend time understanding, reading, processing, dealing with this on a different level. For me, it's an important question to ask. How many times has my mind been changed because of confrontation? That it was a meal or it was a conversation where we're talking about something else, and then all of a sudden someone comes after me because of something that I said, and I've actually changed my mind, my thinking, my belief, my way of life because of that confrontation. It's very rare, if ever. I mean, I've had moments where I've said something that is not right, that's not okay for me to say, where someone would look at me and say, Matt, that was, that was a sexist thing to say, or that was a little misogynistic in the way that you're approaching that. And honestly, walking away from it, I would have to admit, like, yeah, that probably isn't the best way to say that. That isn't, isn't the best way to communicate what I was trying to say. But my knee-jerk reaction is, is to not hear what they have to say, but to simply fight back, to get my hackles up and to say, no, you're the one that's wrong. You're the one that's being sensitive. You're the one that's sexist, whatever it is. That's just our knee-jerk reaction as human beings whenever we experience confrontation. I'm right, you're wrong, and now the conversation is all about this back and forth of me trying to show that I'm the one that's in the clear, not you. You compare this to the number of times that I have shifted in my thinking or beliefs or way of life, and what's usually around that is not confrontation, but relationship. It's a continual proper context of working through, talking through something with someone. And it's in that space, in that place, that I can look back on my life and see where I have shifted and I've hopefully moved towards a more beautiful way to approach these kinds of things. What's Jesus doing with Zacchaeus? He's bringing a better context to have a conversation with someone that is different than him. And what are we invited to do? We are invited to take these disagreements that we have with people that we love, that we want to continue to find this loving, genuine relationship with. And we're working to find the right context to actually deal with it. And in that work, to do what we talked about these first two weeks, to hear each other's stories, that we have a context that I can hear why you believe, why you think what you think. And I have an opportunity to share my authentic, true story for who I am in the hopes that we see each other and there is this genuine love present. And it's over the course of that, that we find the goal to be found, that the goal is not to just disrupt and become an asshole of the conversation. The goal is not to just roll over and be apathetic towards things that matter. But the goal is that I would do the work to create the space where we can be a force of love in each other's lives. But we've got to find the right context for that. I found this to even be true, especially um, not just in relationships that I love but disagree with, but even in closer relationships that I'm, you know, find a lot of agreement with, where there's something bigger to talk about. And I can find myself not dealing with those bigger issues and bigger things that are happening maybe in a relationship, and I'm not dealing with them in the right context. So you take this especially in my relationship with my wife, Kate, I, and I'm just, this is a moment of confession, like I don't do this well, where there's something big that I need to talk about and deal with and work through with my wife, 
but I don't work to get that conversation in the right context. And usually what happens is we're having some kind of disagreement, we're having an argument, and all of a sudden I start throwing out these statements like you always or you never, and she would maybe do the same thing. It's this, it's this thing where that's not the right context to bring up this thing, or we're both tired and exhausted and a little on edge, and it's in that moment that I decide, well, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about it right now. And then all of a sudden, neither of us are being heard, and we're not interacting around the thing that matters. We're just both fighting for who's right and who's wrong. Compare this to me and my relationships working to make sure that I create space and context to sit and talk about my wife, talk with my wife about things that matter. For some of us, it's finding a date night or a regular time to connect with someone. For some of us, it might be found on just going for a drive. Many, many of us know what it's like. We just have better conversations when we're both staring out a windshield compared to across the table from one another. Whatever it is that this work would matter for me to try and place these conversations in the right place and at the right time that we can actually move things forward. You have a choice for how you're going to go about this stuff because that scene of someone saying something that you adamantly disagree with, that scene is going to come again and again and again. So you have a choice for how we're going to go about it. You can choose to just blow it all up and you can choose to just get in this fighting match and all of a sudden everybody's picking sides and that's now what the relationship is about. You can choose to just be apathetic and roll over and say, well, I'm not going to bring it up and I'm not going to talk about it. But I believe that genuine love is found when we're actually talking about these things and trying to work through them. And we're willing to say, wow, I see that differently. And you work to find the right space and the right time to deal with it and talk it through and hear their story and share our story as well. The reason this is so important to me is because I believe that your voice matters. Your story matters. And many times we find ourselves belittling our voice and belittling our story because we're not finding the right context to share those kinds of things. Or maybe you believe your story matters, but you're just spending so much time and energy shouting on social media or shouting across the table to people that you genuinely love, but you're not actually being heard. My hope with this series, my hope with this talk is that you would be somebody that understands the power and significance of your voice and that you are willing to do the work to get it in the right context, that it's experienced and heard, that you and I can continue to see our lives transformed into a more beautiful way and this world and the people around us that we genuinely love, that we can be a force of love in their lives, not just an adversary, and together create a more beautiful space. This is the work of Christ, I believe, and this is the work in front of us. I hope this has been helpful for you as this stuff has been helpful for me. Uh, I want to just land the plane as usual and just say, if there's anything that we can do for you, please, please, please let us know. Other than that, we won't be back next week. We're going to take a week off for the Sabbath, so I hope that you do your best to do nothing, and then uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks with our new series. Love you. Hope to talk to you very soon.